Welcome to the Wellness Champions Network podcast. I'm host Sarah McGuinness. The Wellness Champions Network is a group of leaders from around the globe who are passionate about well-being. In the network, we learn, share and connect with colleagues and well-being experts alike. We believe that by working together, we can build a happier, healthier world where everyone has the opportunity to thrive. In this podcast, we're joined by Jackie Maguire. Jackie is a registered clinical psychologist and media commentator with a particular interest in lifting organisational performance by developing the resilience and well-being of employees. Jackie's passion is to work closely with clients to understand the unique needs of their organisation and develop tailored programmes to fit. This interview with Jackie was our first Ask an Expert session. These sessions are designed to ask those big, hairy wellbeing questions and to get guidance from experts. And Jackie was kind enough to come on board and answer some of our big, hairy questions about wellbeing. I think there's lots of things workplaces could and should and would be doing at the moment. Number one, I think for everybody, whether you are a CE, whether you are a junior intern, you know, whether you work in a team of two or a team of 20, having awareness about how you yourself are feeling and thinking right now and holding awareness of how other people might be thinking and feeling is really important. And I have written and spoken about in the last few weeks kind of cohorts of how people might be reacting. And of course, life's not that black and white and we can change how we're feeling within a day, let alone a week. Um, But the kind of clusters that I've spoken about are for some people they will be like rip roaring, excited and ready to get back into the workplace. And they might be people that like want want routine back as normal, expect performance back to be normal, and, and maybe kind of get a bit irritable if other people aren't on their same wavelength, like we're all back, you know, like let's just go. It's kind of that, that group of people. I think there are those that are actually more anxious coming out of lockdown and going back into the workplace than perhaps they were in level three or four. We have seen a rise in anxiety post level two. So I think you might have people that are worried about breaking their bubble, worried about having to kind of transport back to work, uh, worried that potentially the virus isn't control, under control and are they going to catch it or are we going to have to go backwards? Um, the economic fallout, the financial you know, crisis we're going to be experiencing, etc. So I think there are some where um, anxiety might be going up and you might therefore see people being a bit withdrawn in the workplace. Maybe their concentration isn't great. Maybe um, their productivity has gone down. Maybe they're somebody that normally speaks up in meetings and they've gone really quiet, for example. So they might be some of the things you see. I think they're also the grievers, the people that loved working from home, really enjoyed it, have no want to come back into the office. Um, and, and they themselves, again, as we kind of enter this level two, might not, might not be the pre-COVID version right now of the person you knew. And again, when we're experiencing negative emotions, our frontal lobes don't necessarily work as, as, as good as normal. So it might be that somebody's slightly more negative or they're not onto it or they're not as creative or innovative as they normally are. Um, and then I think there are actually some individuals where perhaps it doesn't matter whether they're in the workplace or at home, they're kind of status quo. So if I've been kind of categorizing those for organizations and, and teams of use that, are you a one, two, three or four, as a way of gaining some awareness in teams that we're not all the same, we're not homogenous, and it's really important to remember that because if I can be aware someone's responding different to me, I can hold compassion. I can ask somebody about what's going on for them rather than assuming I know what's going on. So if somebody in a team perhaps hasn't been as present in meetings or in email correspondence, 
a judgment might be they're bloody taking the piss out of this lockdown. They're not working at home. What are they doing? You know, like we haven't seen them around. And actually maybe they're really anxious, <laughs> you know, or they're managing a partner that's lost their job or, you know, whatever's going on. So I think when we hold awareness and understanding and have comms around that in a very trusting way, that's a really helpful start to opening up the wellbeing conversation. So that's kind of like my first thing I think would be useful for all, all teams. And if you've got a trusting team, you should be able to do that all together. If the trust isn't quite there in the team, maybe that needs to be a conversation between the leader and the employee to start with. I have a question around what support we can put in place for people who might have been heavily involved in the COVID response, working in a fast-paced environment and we're now returning to normal. Their work might start to shift back into BAU from COVID response. We want them to rest and recuperate as they may have been mm. working long hours. Uh, so how do we manage that sense of loss or come down from the fast-paced work? I think rest and recovery is really important. And, and we all know, hopefully, in the roles that we do, from a physiological perspective, you can only stay in adrenaline and or cortisol for so long. Like You absolutely need your body and your brain to physically recover. I think what's most important is that we have conversations around what people need to recover and enable them to hold their own agency rather than making decisions for them. Because what might be recovery for me might actually not be what the other person needs. So, you know, that might mean you've got some individualized plans for people rather than a blanket rule across the organization. For example, some people might find some flexi days from home as, as, as a recuperation and recovery. Other people might have a household full of kids and that might be the worst thing for them to recover and actually being in the office is really nice. So, you know, I think we can't make blanket statements around what is useful, but I think having some conversations um, acknowledging the hard work they've done, sharing your appreciation and gratitude and saying the organisation really acknowledges the work you've put in and that you need some time for recovery. You know, we absolutely know that in crunch time you might be all on, but it's important you can kind of reprieve and recover. So let's sit down and look at the projects that are on. What's actually priority and what can be put on hold for a bit? You know, what, what do you need around you in order to feel like you're getting some downtime? Is that time off? Is that flexi time? Is that you know, projects going to somebody else? Is that sabbatical and a little team for another while? Whatever it is, have a conversation and ask the individuals what they need, you know, and if you're getting nothing back in response or somebody saying, I'm fine, I can keep going, you know, you might have an encouraging conversation about, I know you're amazing and can keep going and, but, you know, we from an organisational point of view are valuing well-being, and so therefore we want to ensure you can get some time uh, just to let your body recover because all of us, you know, know that our, uh, our parasympathetic nervous system needs some time to kick in. So here are some options I've thought about or that other people are doing. Does any of those sound useful for you, you know, and multi-choice them? So that, that would be helpful, I think. So how can employees tread the line between supporting people to come back to work and expect them to come back to work? So I think in every organisation, from every leader, it's important to have open communication with people that we've been through a challenging time. We'll all have different emotional responses to validate that that's normal and to validate that there will be a transition period expected for everybody you know, whether that's leaders and employees, whether that's teachers and students, to resettle back into routine. 
So I think that's that acknowledgement and that validation in itself enables the amygdala to calm down. That's like with emotion regulation, we say one of the most important things is to be aware you're having a response and to put an emotional label on the response. What you're doing as a leader and a teacher is, is helping other people do that for themselves. So I think that is really important communication. You may have to repeat a lot at the start. Then I think that's something at the end around um, whether that's syndicate leaders talking with teachers or principal to their senior management team, you know, if, if you're feeling anxious, if you're feeling nervous about coming back to school, if, you, if there's things going on at home and it just doesn't feel like the transition is kind of as easy as you need it to be right now, come and have a conversation and let's work out a plan. And I think that's the way I would be going. You know, rather than putting these blanket rules in place for everyone that may or may not hit, hit the mustard for people, it's an open invitation and a continual open invitation to come and have a conversation and work out the plan. Because I, every business will have different ways in which they can support. You know, schools may have reliever teachers that can come in and take some periods or, um, you know, co-sharing and putting classes together for a while or whatever it is you know that may be very different to someone that's sitting in a government department or a private business or a warehouse where people are on site or we're all going to have different ways in which we can support but what needs to happen is the awareness the validation and the open communication what helps that too sometimes is if senior leaders are able to model how they have responded so this is how I have managed through this period. These are some of the challenges I've had. These are some of the things that I've enjoyed. And this is what I'm doing to look after myself through this time. Or this is my plan to transition back. And that then gives behavioural permission for people to perhaps not be perfect or okay from the beginning. The biggest challenge our people are facing with working from home is motivation. People are doing what the immediate things are they need to, but many of us are finding the longer term work is really hard to focus on. What might be going on psychologically and what st steps might help? If people are anxious or overwhelmed, um, and uncertainty and change can, can overwhelm people <laughs> or turn their amygdalas on, people get into tunnel vision. I just see what's in front of me. You know, and that's an evolutionary response that if I'm needing to survive, um, all I'm going to do is focus on the immediate and the long term stuff seems too, too hard or I don't even send my attention there. And so I think when people are in that space, yes, the acknowledgement's important, but actually the act of planning from leadership. So, you know, sometimes when somebody is struggling a bit or facing challenges, a leader might meet with that person for 10 minutes in the morning. That's it, you know, five or 10 minutes and go, what's on the agenda and where are you going? And let's prioritize what's important because it's kind of like you're bringing in someone's prefrontal lobe for them. If you don't have the ability to problem solve future look right now, all good, we're gonna come in and we're gonna help you with that in the moment. Um, I think some psychoeducation also for people is helpful. So some understanding for teams around how the brain operates when we're under uncertainty and um, when we're facing challenge or, or crisis. Um, again, I'd want to know what's going on in those individuals' homes because work is only one facet. We know that unemployment rates are rising, so do they have family impacts on that? We know that domestic violence and alcohol abuse is likely to go up during this time. So what else is going on in that person's environment? And this is where I think wellbeing checks. I've, you know, I believe always, no matter what the circumstance, leaders need to be checking in on wellbeing all the time. It is even more critical at the moment and that we're not just checking in when someone looks like they're not coping, that we're doing that is a regular part of our leadership. Some teams do that in an open forum. Some teams do that just between the leader and the employee. So I think that depends on every circumstance. Um, 
In terms of motivation in general, there are some things we know that help boost motivation. One is to focus on the altruism perspective. So we know employees are more productive if other people are online at the same time. They don't even have to be interacting with each other, but just seeing a little green dot that someone else is online has some kind of accountability to it. And we're all in this working together. So um, recommendation actually from Adam Grant, who's a very well-known org psych in America. He said to me, you know, Jackie, my recommendation for teams are that they pick a two hour window in the day where everybody's online at the same time. So you can have people flexi working with times, et cetera, but for two hours a day, have everybody online at the same time. And that actually know, is known to increase productivity. Um, I think also with teams coming together, being, being at home, it's about how will my actions impact others? <laughs> so we know people are motivated uh, to support other people. We are interpersonal, the interpersonal, that's really important. So, you know, we're working on this project together or it's really important I need to do my bit so the next person in the sequence can do their bit. That's a motivator. From a general behavioral motivation perspective, when you're at the start of a challenge, so week one, two, three, four, whatever, into lockdown, Focusing on what we've achieved to date is a really helpful motivator. Yes, we've done one week out of lockdown. Look how well we've done. We've done two weeks working from home. Look how well we're managing. The research says when you get to the middle of a challenge or near the end, it's actually important to focus on what's still to come because that keeps you motivated and working hard. Otherwise, you kind of rest on your laurels and go, yeah, look how awesome we've been and I don't need to do anymore. So it's like, what do we want to achieve for the rest of the time? Like put a target in place. What as a team do we want to achieve by the end of June or the end of July? What do we need to do to make that happen and actually sit and problem solve and plan that out? Because then people's minds are in what still needs to be done rather than just look how awesome we've done and look what we've achieved already. So Jackie, we had John Brent join us last week. Um, to talk about how to engage leaders in wellbeing. I'm not sure if you know Jono, he was CEO at Kinetics and has now moved to Orion in a transformation role. Um, and he's been looking at the future of work over the last year. Um, so one of the things that he was talking about was that shift between wellbeing being a compliance thing like health and safety, um, and so moving it out of compliance and into something that's embedded into culture. Uh, and, and Nigel was interested in your comment around where yep. you see wellbeing going in that space. Yeah, I think it's absolutely part of your grain of your organisation. How is it woven through everything you do? And I think that comes both top down and bottom up. For example, at the board or executive meeting is wellbeing on the agenda as part of this is something that we absolutely check in just like we do every other facet of the business through to uh, when we start a new employee into our organization, how are they introduced into the team? Are they introduced in a really human way? Through to working from home, do we take the time to go, tell me about a picture on your wall or show me around your home office? Or, you know, we've actually got this amazing opportunity in work from home to see more of people as people rather than people as their roles. Um, so I think wellbeing is critical for creativity, innovation, productivity, workflow, revenue. If you want a highly productive uh, workforce, you need a well workforce. And you know, lots of organizations for a long time have focused on engagement and they have engagement surveys. And you know, I think well-being and engagement are separate continuums that both are important. And my example for that is you can have a highly engaged person, but if they're not well, they're burnt out. 
and a burnt out person is no use to themselves or to the organization. Conversely, you can have a really well person that's not engaged and like they might be super fun to be around and fabulous at the Christmas party, but they're not contributing to the team productivity. So you kind of need the mix of mix of both. So I think, you know, I have a bit of an issue with things like we do things for mental health and mental health awareness week. And it's like, yeah, that's, that's great. But what are you doing all day, every day throughout the year? Because yes, it's useful to highlight it, but we know when it comes to all aspects of well-being, social connection, emotion regulation, thinking clearly and innovatively, holding perspective, all of that stuff, trust between people and their leaders, high quality connections. Like when you break well-being down into all the micro behaviors, well-being is built by little behaviors every single day. It's not just you do one thing and yes, we've hit our well-being box. So I absolutely think training leaders in how to lead from a well-being perspective, um, doing team activities that build, build well-being um, is really, really important through every facet. A really nice example of that is I spend a lot of time with teams talking about emotion regulation and the importance of that, being able to label emotions and work that out. And I've got one team that's got an, an emoji board on their wall. And so it's like all the different emoji faces and they've all got their name card. And when they're feeling something, they go and they stick their name under their emoji. And it's a signal to the team of this is how I'm feeling right now. It's actually a call center, which is really hard. Call centers are really tough on well-being. They're notorious for poor well-being. And we know when you label an emotion, it helps you regulate it. And so that's a really lovely tangible way if they've had a shitty call, you know, they go and put their name under frustrated or angry or, you know, and it, and it signals to the team how they're feeling and it helps them regulate and that is a well-being strategy in itself. And, and like at the start of team meetings, I've got senior leadership teams that use a colour system and they start their meetings with what colour are you? Green is I'm thriving, orange is I'm doing okay, red is I'm finding things really tough and some teams will go, I'm orange with a bit of green green with a bit of red you know but it kind of is using language and communication to talk about well-being and actually that's a really good thing to think about i'm going to jump in on a question um jackie so the news today is you know fletchers looks like they're going to be losing around a thousand staff here in new zealand and i imagine they will not be the only organization suddenly looking at a huge number of you know job loss over the coming months what words of advice would you give to organizations around, around preparing for that, around going through the process and making sure it comes from, as you say, that, that real well-being perspective and taking care? I've done a lot of research around unemployment and an economic crisis. And if people want to read from a personal perspective, there's an article on the spin-off about that you can read. What that research says in terms of people's well-being is the way in which they let go has a major impact on how they respond and recover through that time. So I think organisations need to be as transparent as possible when they have the information that, 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 that they need to use to make decisions. I think when people feel like they're not in the know or they suspect decisions are being made but they're not being told about them, that's really hard. So I think keeping that transparency through this process is important. I think keeping the compassion for people is really important. And yes, as a leader, you may, might need to be making tough decisions, but don't just see people as numbers, see people as people and hold on to uh, what impact that's going to have in a ripple effect for people's lives. So I think the best, you know, it's a, it's a crap situation. No one's going to want to let their people go. They're going to be hurting from a business perspective. I'm sure people care about their people. So I think it's really having those compassionate 
real and honest conversations. I think it's about seeing if they can hook people up to support if they need it. So leaders having awareness of Citizens Advice Bureau or support that people can get, or if they know that somebody else is hiring, for example, like how can you, how can you link people into support networks when they go? A really good example was a restaurant, I think, in one of our tourism hotspots. I saw this on the news and all his staff, he had to, you know, when, when we shut up shop, they all lost their roles and he helped get them a job in a quarry, I think. Or, you know, like he actually helped them navigate other roles during that time. So I know if you're losing a thousand staff, I mean, that's really difficult to go, you know, to go through that process with everyone. But do you know what support systems are out there and can you ensure that you have alerted people about that? I've spoken with organisations that have ensured, um, and this is a big organisation that might be losing their people, they have set up with their EAP provider to do transition support out of the organisation. So actually having people, you know, the EAP service has been extended to their people so that they can go and get support in thinking and planning and reflection time um, as they go through their redundancy and figure out out what they want to do so the employer is still currently paying for that so I think you know it's like thinking outside the square of how do we support our people through this time what likely impact is this going to have for our people um, and putting as much wraparound support through that process I'd also talk about the leaders in that time like how tough to have to let your people go or to have 30 conversations in a row where you're getting people upset and distressed and on the other side, like it's really important you look after yourself as a leader, you take those breaks, you get some peer supervision or you have professional supervision through that process that you feel like you've got a really clear plan from senior management around um, your messaging and your comms and how you're going to, you know, like have a pre-planning meeting before you go into those. So from that leadership perspective, it's really important too. With the COVID-19 vaccination on the way, it, it, what is the workplace's role in supporting people to, to make choices around that and how can they, I guess, proactively support, you know, still keeping people's views? I don't know. You know, it's, it's a really thorny issue, but I'm aware that this is something that's going to come up for organisations. I think it's really important with all views that we hold respect for each other. And that's really hard when there are controversial decisions or decisions made by other people that are against your value system. We know you will get the biggest emotional response when someone is acting out of sync with your core values. And so I think some, again, education around that is helpful. I think leaders have to set the tone that you might disagree with somebody, but you still have to treat them respectfully. You cannot make somebody do, do anything that they don't want to do. And in a workplace, you can't really judge, criticise or speak out if someone's making a decision in their personal life that you don't agree with. You know, unless there are government policies around vaccination or, you know, I know in Australia there are some like daycares, for example, that won't take children that haven't been vaccinated. Like if there is not a policy at that level that says everybody must be vaccinated, you, you can't criticise and judge someone for making that personal choice. You know, I think we can have values in the workplace that we don't rile each other up, you know, that you don't, you don't go and overshare your view with someone else or try and convince them, etc. cetera. Um, but I think we have to find a way to manage that internal unrest if we really disagree with how someone else is acting in their personal life. Fantastic. Thank you. One of my clients has been finding that they, uh, that they ask if certain members of their team are okay via a well-being call tree and they keep being told fine but they aren't convinced uh, how do they respect the privacy possible trust issues while also wanting to help them 
I think it's really important that those conversations happen face to face or at least on a video screen so you can read someone's body language. I find using language around well-being helpful, so using a 1 to 10 scale with everybody, using a traffic light system, whatever fits with your people. Um, you know, I think people are more accurate when they've got a scale to work off, and so I would always say, you know, how are you feeling 1 to 10? And if someone says I'm a 6, I'll be like, what makes you a 6? And I explore that more. What would you need to be a seven? And I think that's something, oh, you don't need to be a psychologist to ask those questions, but it gives people a structure to respond to that wellbeing question. If somebody continually says, I'm fine, or they say, I'm 10 out of 10, and you're like, I really don't think you are, then I think it's about using um, your tone, your compassion and your voice, and some, what we would call being the naive inquirer, that's the psychology term, which is, you know, it's really wonderful to hear that things are okay or that you're fine. Um, I'm kind of wondering, I've noticed that you don't seem to be yourself at the moment or you used to speak up lots in meetings and you haven't seemed to be doing that lately and I just want to check, you know, what's going on with that or is something going on that I'm not aware of or, you know, what, what, what might be the reason for the change? You know, my whole tone of voice dropped, my volume drops, you know, and people can feel the authenticity in that. And generally, if you ask from that sense, people will tell you what's going on. Sometimes they're not, you know, sometimes people can be really defensive. Um, I think if I'm working with somebody where perhaps they're a real closed book or they don't want to mix personal and private or they don't think it's any of your business, sometimes that normalising is really useful. So I'm having this conversation with everybody. What we know at the moment is that everybody's been finding this challenging in a different way. I'm wanting to work out kind of how people have been responding so I can do my best job as a leader. It'd be really useful if you could kind of give me some insight. Are you a one anxious, two can't wait to be back at work, three grieving, four indifferent, you know, like use some language that people can respond to. I think that helps people open up more than just open-ended, are you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. <laughs> um, Nikki from uh, Two Degrees is saying, our staff have told us they are really enjoying working from home, but really miss the connection of others. What advice would you give us to maintain that connection with our people over and above the connection between our immediate teams? Well, that's a good one. Lots of people have enjoyed working from home. <laughs> you know, I think it's been a really interesting experiment for organisations. I think keeping video where you can see people is useful, but not to a point where you've got people on call after call after call. Um, there is Zoom fatigue and it does lower people's productivities and etc. So, you know, I think having some Zooms with videos is useful for connection. I would say right now, getting together as a team, even if it's you know, we're going to flexi work. So three days a week, we're going to be in the office. Two days a week, we're going to be at home. That gives people their work from home, but it also gives us our social connection. The research says that three to two day split is really useful for connection, productivity, da, da, da. So I think that is really helpful. Maybe it's about saying, how do we get together socially as a team? You know, like, are we going to go and do, you know, once a fortnight, let's go and have a team lunch together when you're allowed to do that and you know, groups of 10 or maybe more at some point. So I think it's just about being creative, you know. Um, people feel connected even through a screen, like I said earlier, when, you know, maybe as your team you go, 
we're going to rotate it every morning and one person's going to bring one photo of their life during lockdown and they're going to explain it, you know, to the group. They're going to kind of share a photo and talk about what that represents during their lockdown. Or we're going to have a Slack channel where, um, you know, this is what my husband's team are doing. We want everyone to kind of keep being active during lockdown. And so they all posted photos of their lockdown exercise activity, you know, and it just kind of gives you some connection. It's out of work. It's connecting to people. Um, and that small stuff, actually has a big difference. It's being creative and doing things that fit with your team. What are your thoughts around measuring well-being, measures that work, return on investment, all those thorny questions around how we track progress and show that what we're doing is actually making a difference? So I think there are some well-being assessments that are helpful and tap into what you want to know and there's probably other ones that give you data that aren't quite that useful. So I as an organisation would be going what kind of data am I actually wanting to collect, you know, so for me if I was a leader, yep, I want to know how many people are stressed or distressed in my organisation. But I also want to know who's flourishing or thriving and I want to know why, you know, can I get that from a pen and paper? Questionnaire, do I need to have a assessment that does self-reflection but also in-depth interviews so I get some qualitative and quantitative data? Um, so I think they're the kind of questions you want to be asking as an organisation. I think you don't want wellbeing assessments to just become another rudimentary thing that gets rolled out every year and, you know. You also want to know from a return on investment perspective that the uh, interventions you're putting in place are working. <laughs> so... You know, I think it's really about going, what is the data we want to collect? Is that, how are we going to get that data the best? Do we need to partner with an external agency? Is that something we can do ourselves? From my perspective, you will get better data if an external agency is going to hold that data. From a privacy perspective, asking people to talk about their well-beings can be very scary. They want to know whether that's going to impact on their role who's going to hold that information, etc. So I think you know, all the things as a leadership team you need to think about really clearly before you run out wellbeing assessments. But yeah, I think they absolutely have their place and um, it's really finding the right provider or the right tools that are going to help, help you measure what you want to measure. We've actually touched on this quite a bit all the way through around engaging leaders in wellbeing. Um, but are there any particular tips you would suggest mm. to organisations in that starting out phase? Because there are a number of organisations in this group who are really at that, what is wellbeing? What's our plan forward? We sort of had a bit of a discussion before COVID, but now it's really on the table uh, and trying to engage leaders in that yeah. really early discussion. So some of you will have heard me speak historically about what's called the dual continuum model of mental health, which is basically your well-being uh, continuum is the vertical one, and it goes from flourishing to languishing. So flourishing is I have positive relationships, I have positive experiences in my life, I have mostly positive kind of thoughts and emotions, etc., obviously not all the time, but majority of the time, down to languishing, which is I feel flat, I have no energy, I've got no oomph, I've got no motivation. That's not mental illness, that's just languishing on a well-being scale. Then across that, you've got your mental illness scale, which goes from severe signs of mental illness through to no signs of mental illness. Lots of organisations at the moment are are on this axis. They're getting mental health training, they're training up all their leaders how to assess for suicide, put in plans around that, spot signs of depression, da-da-da. I think a base level 
of knowledge around this mental illness sign is important. You absolutely, from a health and safety perspective, need to be able to spot when your people are stressed or they're not managing. You need leaders to have basic conversations about how they're going, and you need leaders to know where to put support systems in place. I'm gonna be controversial and tell you my personal opinion. I think personally that's all you want your leaders to have. You know, they do not have time to be full-time HR, full-time psychologists with their people. Um, they absolutely need some skills. They absolutely need to be checking in on well-being. But I don't think sending leaders through full-day workshops to become super amazing at having really long conversations or putting complete wraparound support systems with their people is good bang for buck. I think they need to be doing that in conjunction with the HR team or in conjunction with an external support person. So base training there is good, absolutely. But spending days and days doing thorough, thorough training. Personally, I'm not so sure that's where organisations should be spending all their time. We know that if you spend your time on this angle, the flourishing, getting people to move up a wellbeing mental health scale is really, really effective. It is more effective to spend time supporting people to flourish from a connection, creativity, productivity line. Doesn't mean you ignore this line, but if you put lots of active effort, you get really good responses. So I'd be going, what are you doing from a flourishing perspective on an everyday basis that supports people to be well and to flourish? Let's absolutely have our health and safety training for leaders and maybe a mini session for staff, if, you know, but do not go into a room and teach people how to differentiate between anxiety and depression. It's not your role. It's not helpful. Um, there's often inaccurate uh, diagnoses that go on. You need to know general signs of distress, general signs of someone's not um, you know, doing well, general ways to have a conversation, but then you hand over, and that's my language, you hand over to the expert, etc. But all that positive, positive emotions, helping people have a growth mindset or think and hold perspective, how we're connecting as teams, all of that, having good habits in our organisation, that stuff is where you're going to get your bang for your buck. Fantastic. And thinking as well, you know, Jackie, looking ahead from your research and, and what you can see coming, say, in the turbulence that's likely to happen in the next, say, six to 12 months as the, I guess, the fallout of the lockdown, you know, really comes to bear for organisations. What are some of the things that you see coming and what are some of the things we need to be thinking about? I think we're going to go through a period of transition. And so what are our expectations through transition? And for me, when I even think at a personal perspective, if I'm transitioning, I can't be prepared to excel probably right now. I'm, you know, like what is our output and what is our marker of success through this? And it might look different to when life is hunky-dory and there aren't challenges. So success might look like we get our people through, we consolidate, we use our learnings from lockdown. We put some things into place that perhaps make our work or our workplace or our connections enhanced going forward. You know, we keep our clients on board that we've got. We do the best we can to manage, you know, and that might be our definition of success right now. But maybe I'm not going to go and look at dramatic growth as a marker of success through this time. Of course, that will be different for every business. Some areas are more impacted by COVID than others, for example. For some people, you know, if you're in the hospitality industry, surviving is going to be successful through this time. So, you know, we've got massive amounts of adaptation that need to occur 
occur. And so, you know, keeping our people calm, really role modeling and, and reinforcing well-being, uh, bringing kind of some of those things back to basics. Um, I think that's going to be what helps us get through this time um, and maintaining our humanness through it. So, you know, that's something that's really important to me and everything we do. Can we hold our humanness as a team, as a leadership team, as an organization? Um, and I also think what's important is going to be the continual checking in, you know, like some organizations will use pulse data or whatever way you want to think about it. Having a continual way to check in with people about how they're going, how they're feeling, what they're needing, you know, is really important. And you might have a cascade approach. A team leader talks with their team, they pass that up, you know, and you have a tree where that, all that information is getting to senior management to make some decisions around that. I also think when we're in uncertainty, people need to see leaders and people need to see leaders' faces. So, you know, even if we're working from home, having videos that go out um, talking about what's going on in the business, talking about decisions that are being made, reflecting on their own selves through this time is a really useful way of getting that eye-to-eye -eye personal human uh, connection through the next 12 months. again for listening today it's been great to have you along if you're keen to join the wellness champions network head along to myhealthrevolution.co.nz and follow the links to subscribe if you're in the network thanks again and we look forward to catching up with you really soon